Hello, Mount Mike Radio listeners. This is another special episode from Sea Otter 2018. If you want to check out the last episode or future ones, you can go to mountainbikeradio.com slash Sea Otter 2018. This one is with Mark Lansett. He is the owner of Noble Bikes. You can go to noble-bikes.com to find out all the information. But he relaunched the bike brand after several years, and I got a chance to sit down with him in his booth at Seattle to talk about bikes, his experience, life, and everything else. If you have any questions, comments, whatever it is, com, and that's it. So enjoy this one, and thank you for listening. This is Ben. I'm at Sea Otter, and I'm going to drink, take a sip of Paps because I... When I, whenever I get the chance to sit down with an owner of a new bike company, I'm with Mark Landsat. Landsat. Landsat, right? yeah. Okay. And he has a, a really pretty cool history. He's here first time at Seattle with Noble Bikes. You can go to noble-bikes.com. And uh, my point was to be able to sit down and drink a beer. <laughs> I'll take it. I can do well. whatever whatever we want. So I, I really appreciate that, and I appreciate the time. So All what right. we did is we did almost a 10-minute video. It was really good. You showed us uh, each one of the bikes, some of the things uh, that you have going on with the bikes, which right. we'll talk about, which okay. are unique yep. and uh, pretty cool. Um, we'll talk about your history. Sounds good. Um, and uh, because I think that's pretty cool. And that's how you got to meet Guitar Ted, I think, was the whole Absolutely. thing in there. Yeah. Yeah, he yeah, was yeah, part yeah. of the process of getting the Raleigh Tamlin going. Absolutely. Uh, yep. So we'll talk about that. So let's start. Um, let's talk, talk about your history. How you? How did you get in the... You're an engineer. Yeah, I am. And so was that always from like a little kid? Were you always that engineer kind of kind of person? Like college was that kind of your path all the way from the beginning, or how's that? Yeah, it was. It was pretty obvious, I okay. would say. Uh, I love technical Legos, so I was always like putting stuff together with gears and chains. And then I got into RC cars, and um, you know, so I was always futzing around with stuff. And I went to engineering college, and, and actually in engineering college. I grew up in Holland, in the Netherlands, uh, just south of Amsterdam. Um, I was racing for ProFlex, um, the Dutch ProFlex yeah. team. And, okay. I, you know, I did some World Cups and went around Europe. And, I mean, I'll be honest, my racing career really wasn't going anywhere. Uh, I okay. tried really, really hard. I just okay. wasn't good enough. And, okay. uh, but I was racing for ProFlex. tried hard. I did try hard, yeah. And I went to some World Cups and learned learned the hard way that I wasn't good enough. Oh, so like World Cup, like... Like Hoovely, St. Wendell. Yeah, so you were uh, good, like though. 90s. Yeah. Yeah. That's was, pretty good, man. I was Even, decent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I had a hard time qualifying for the World Cups. This was when mountain biking was super popular. So it was like qualifying on Saturdays and then, okay. you know be tired and you know most of the times didn't make it on the actual day of the world cup because you had like hundreds of riders trying to qualify okay you're still there you still experienced it yeah i loved it uh you know and i've had a great time and then um um we the 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 sales manager at the time for for proflex europe is like hey have you ever thought about working for us instead of racing for us yep and and so I, i started i mean i've kept racing i still race i love racing um but I started working for ProFlex, traveled around Europe as a technical representative for them. And then in 2001, one of their engineers left and, you know, my boss gave me a call. He's like, have you ever thought about moving to the U.S. and, and coming to work for us? So I moved in 2001 and started working in product development rather than technical service. And, you know, my career just started snowballing from there. Um, yeah. 
So yeah, so you were right in it from from the beginning. Yeah. Was, oh yeah. yeah, I was in it, and and actually, I had an opportunity to work with Tomac on a project. He was like like my absolute like right. hero and god, right? And so like I, I get to work with this guy and. I was like, oh my God, you have no idea, you know, because I was reading magazines and I right. loved, you know, all the, everything that was happening in the U.S. and I was living in Holland. So, yeah, yeah. I'm really fortunate. My buddy, uh, Kyle, he's over, he works for uh, Wahoo Trainers. Yep, yeah, yeah. And uh, he was telling me yesterday, so he's over in the booth and uh, Ned Overend is working in Specialized Booth over here. Oh, sure, And yeah. uh, yep. So Ned is Wahoo, uses all the Wahoo stuff. Yep. Uh, it's a good plug for Wahoo, by the way, right there. Yeah, no kidding. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> They should be paying me. Uh, but anyhow, so Kyle had the same thing yesterday. So he's working the booth. This guy comes up. He's turned around, and Ned taps him on the shoulder and says, Hey, uh, can, I get your, can I get a second? I just have a question about Wahoo. I'm looking for some parts. And, uh, I, you know, I, I'm Ned. I'm Ned over, and Kyle's like, you know, he's like, I know uh, who you are. I know who you Like, he played it cool, <laughs> totally. but he's like, I've had posters of you. Like, I've been stalking oh, yeah. you for years. You're like, you're yeah. my childhood hero. So, like, when you when you say that, when it's like, uh, talking about John Tomac, it's like we're all like that. You know, I, oh, I walked by sure, Gary yeah. Fisher the other day, and some other guys were taking a picture, and I was like, "Oh man, hey, can I get in on that?" So like, he gave me a handshake and got a picture with Gary Fisher. But anytime you can even flirt with doing somebody something, it's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, yeah, I've been fortunate in my career. I've had a lot of like good luck. I, I can't, uh, can't deny that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so so Raleigh bikes. You were uh, yep. engineer over there. Yeah, Pro- yeah. I, I product started, designer, or what, what was your role when you? Uh, I started as a product designer in 2012, and and actually at the time, um, my good friend Sally Fornes, who is like standing behind me with the beer, he's not hearing it, but we don't want to oh. involve him. By the way, okay, <laughs> is he going to blow this podcast up? Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> like he's not a good person to get involved. Oh boy, uh, but Sally was actually the one that was like. Uh, we should do a gravel bike for Raleigh. And I, I'd never done one. And, yeah. and I was like, how is that different from a cross bike? And Yeah, because 2012, that's six years ago. It seems like it seems a few years ago, but like in terms of gravel world, yep. that's a long time ago because a lot of things have changed. So yeah, back I would then agree it was that. a whole different world. Yeah, It was, and yeah. I didn't get it. I'd never done a gravel race, and we were doing cross bikes, and I was just like, can't we just use this? And then he arranged... A, phone, a conference call with Guitar Ted yep. and as we started having that conversation he was saying how he was using it how he was riding it and, and to me within minutes of that conversation it was clear that we couldn't just take our, our cross bike and call it a gravel bike and so at the end of that conversation it was like well what are we going to do because we had an alloy uh, cross bike and we had a carbon cross bike at the time and and all of those are like high dollars in tooling and right. you know i'm like this is all new like we're going to do radically different geometry from what we've done in the past i'm like why don't we try it in steel first right uh, we don't have to open tooling for the tubes we can just use a lot of the existing tooling we, we did design our own dropout and a few other like small pieces okay but it was it was faster to develop and it gave us an opportunity to get the geometry out there and get it validated by people like Guitar Ted and, and other people that were riding gravel because, you know, we didn't really know what we were doing at the time. Yep. And, you know, interesting side story actually there. We were going to do an 853 Reynolds uh, okay. because of the history of, of Raleigh. And so I went to Reynolds at, I think it was Type A Cycle Show. And I, I told them we wanted to do an 853. And they're like, why do you want to do an 853? And I started explaining 
gravel and they're like, well, we have this other tube set that's 631 that we use a lot in motorcycle like chassis okay. for racing. And it's actually a much uh, tougher one. And if you're going like off road in like gnarly conditions, we believe this makes a better tube set. And I'm like, okay, that sounds good to me. Yeah. And so, but then they showed us the tubing profiles and the budding profiles, and I'm like, this is not going to work for a bike because it, it, a lot of it's used in motorcycle technology, yeah. okay. and it was just too big and too heavy for bicycle use. And right. I'm like, we still want to do 853, and they're like, no, 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 we'll just open new budding tooling for you. And so oh, they, they okay. were totally interested in yeah. it, and you know, they went ahead, and, and and you know, I got to, I got to basically sit in on that and say, okay, well, I would love to see this, and they're like, well, we don't have anything, so we'll do that you know what you're asking for so you know they were integral in the development you know and 631 is now used quite a lot throughout the industry because you know reynolds just decided to open a bunch of tooling that is suitable for yeah, uh, you, you know for gravel riding yep. so, yeah yeah so that was that was the start of that project that process you got guitar ted on the conference call yep um and where to go from there i mean what because you were telling me yesterday how you had all the all the bosses around the table and yep. they're listening to guitar Ted's in there. He's probably thinking in his head, like, who am I doing this, doing all this? And they're asking me all these questions. So, you know, how'd that all go down well, the, yeah, around that, the table as you're sitting there? You know, Well, as we got off the phone call, it was very clear to me because the, the, the upper management had the same question that I had. Why can't we just take the existing cross bikes that at the time for Raleigh, Raleigh was had, had a lot of traction with cross bikes. The bikes were popular. And so, the question was valid, right? Why can't we take our cross right. bike and, Absolutely. and call it, was, it a gravel and bike? And it was valid across the entire uh, gravel world because the discussion was constant. 2012, 2013, it was pretty early. There wasn't a whole lot going on other than like Dirty Kansas was big. Right. Um, Trans-Iowa was like this legendary, you know what I mean? But all the other, our calendar, our riding gravel calendar is over 400. Back then, Gravel Grinder News, I think he had maybe, maybe 150 events, right? right? right. So the conversation was constantly, well... It's not a gravel bike. It's a cross. Just use your cross bike, and right. it's like that's why, kind of that. So it wasn't just a discussion with you guys. It was a very common discussion outside of that. Absolutely. Yeah. So anyhow, so after the call, you get you started talking some more. Um, well, after the call, that's where my suggestion to do it in steel first, because there was a concern. Like it's it's an unproven market for us. We don't know how popular gravel is going to be, and and to just drop a bunch of money in the tooling for like carbon and alloy bikes with unproven geometry, untested bikes, you know, the upper management was hesitant to do that. The right. idea was initially to do a carbon one like right out of the gate. Yeah. But when it became clear that the geometry was going to be radically different than what we were doing on the cross side of things, we were just like, we can't afford that. If we don't get it right, we spend a bunch of money on tooling and yep. it's not going to work. And that, that's where, so there was a conversation on like, okay, how are we going to do this now that we've established that right. we have to indeed do something different? Yep. And then steel became a logical fit, especially being Raleigh, you know, 120 year old brand at the time right. with, uh, you know, a lot of history in steel. It, it was a logical fit and, and, you know, we got approval and, you know, upper management, I have to say was fully behind it. It was new. It was different. It, it fit inside the Raleigh brand and the direction that we were going with what yep. we were doing in cross. So yeah, it was actually a pretty smooth process after the phone call we had with, uh, with guitar Ted. Yeah. And that Tamland was like the, that was like the bike right out of the gate. I mean, that was like gravel bikes started happening more and more but initially that was like there was like a couple 
gravel bikes and everyone I, I know from guitar Ted's perspective he got a ton of questions about it right like that was i mean there wasn't a lot of available at the time so i think that was a cool that was kind of the start of like like a thing you know sure so you were in that part of that thing yeah and i mean a lot of credit has to go to guitar dad right because if we wouldn't have had that phone call i would have made a modified cross bike yeah it wouldn't have had enough clearance it would have been super short chain stay it would have been high bottom bracket it would have had steep angles like all that stuff that so that's what I just think it's cool, like, you were part, like, we're sitting here talking about that, and you guys were kind of part of doing all that. So. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was fun for me, because I, you know, there's also not a lot of opportunity in your career to do something from scratch. Like, it, I've worked on a lot of different projects, but nine out of ten times, so we need a new cross bike, right? You, you never right. start with a blank slate. You look at what you have as a company, and if it's really successful... People tend to not want to change too much because, you know, what if you mess it up? And with the Tamlin, we had, it was also kind of nerve wracking, right? Because we had no (laughs) idea if we were getting it right or not, Uh, you know. And then when we had the bike out there and we started sending it out there, the bike was starting to get really positive reviews. Um, And that in turn, you know, made us more confident to move forward with aluminum and carbon versions of the same bike. Yep. And then you moved on to, uh, what was the other other bike you had? The Willard? The Willard was the alloy bike. Yep. Okay. And what was the carbon? The carbon was the Roker. Roker. That's what I was trying to think of in my head. I couldn't. uh, (laughs) So, yeah. So, you had a hand in doing all those. Yeah. Yeah. and actually, the, the the funny thing is, is like one, once a bike has been established and the geometry is sort of proven out, uh, the subsequent ones are easier. You know, if you're confident where you're going, I mean, the carbon ones are always a lot of work because yeah. there's a lot of 3D involved. Okay. Um, so it's time consuming. Okay. But since we were confident where we were going, it was just kind of going through the motions and, and getting them done. Yep. Uh, we didn't make any modifications to the geometry between the the Tamlin, the Willard, and the Roker. They all stayed the same. Okay. Um, and so yeah, yeah, and and we had great success with all those bikes uh, right from the gun. They they got positive reviews. People really liked them. Um, you know, and then again, like the, in that early conversation, because we weren't going to be able, we were not going to be compatible with forty C tires. We mm-hmm. were thinking thirty five. Yeah. And, you know, Guitar Dad was adamant, like, 40 is the minimum. And right. we were thinking 35 is the maximum, which, right. is, you know, that <laughs> came from that cross-modifying the cross Absolutely. Bike. Uh, you know, and we went, you know, 40 with a lot of clearance. And, you know, there's there's legal requirements for clearance. But I think the Tamlin ended up being, you could easily fit a 45 in there as a as a user, you know, I think the legal requirement wouldn't pass. It would be less than six or seven millimeters. Right. But it easily fit. Right, right. Yeah. It was like that uh, Salsa, the Warbird. Yeah. I mean, that was a big bike early on. Yeah. And it only cleared. You'd be lucky if you get a, th- whatever, 35 fit, but any bigger than that, and you're lucky depending on what tire it was and what frame or. Right. You know, so like the, you know, early on, there wasn't a lot of clearance. So that was a big deal, too, that you guys came out and said, you know, like, did that. Well, and we didn't want to. <laughs> I know, I know, but it's good that yeah. it's good that it all worked out that way, and he oh, had yeah, uh, for sure. He kind of pushed you that way, so yeah, that's good. What uh, I'm curious in all this, so you're early on, you're nervous about doing this and getting, you know, you work through the process of doing this. What some lessons that you learned and takeaways from that whole early on gravel world that you kind of uh, have used leading up to this new venture? Well, the the main thing that I learned is that I love gravel geometry. Uh, 
I no longer have a road bike. Like after I got my initial uh, samples for the Tamlin, I don't race on the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do a lot of training on the road. Like I race mountain bike still, but all my training is done on the road. And I love the comfort that a gravel bike gets me. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not looking to go as fast as I possibly can from A to B. I go for long training rides, and mm-hmm. a gravel ride keeps me comfortable. They're super stable. I just love the way they ride. And, you know, I, I don't run road tires on a meter. I don't care if I get a little more resistance on the road. Mm-hmm. But if I'm out exploring and I see something, you know, on the left side or the right side that is on dirt, like it just allows you to like take a left turn and see where the road takes you. Mm-hmm. And when you're riding on your 23 millimeter caliper road bike, you can go really fast and you can get a great workout. But, you know, you can't never leave the road because yeah. you'll flatten 100 yards. Yep. Or if there's like a gnarly stretch of road with a lot of traffic, you know, and you're going through, you can just ride on the gravel a little bit and yep. go your way. Or potholes. Yeah. I mean, the streets yeah. in Seattle are not exactly in great condition. Yeah. It's like that everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Being yep. in the upper Midwest, it's, uh, we, we deal with that a lot. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's a good, that's a really good takeaway. Was there anything from the design perspective, you know, working, that's a big company. Yeah. So you're working with a lot of different, you know, you're dealing with, people and politics i don't want to go into politics but i'm just meaning from it's different going working for a big company to starting your small you know noble here you're here with we're all your, your whole gang is right here you yeah know. for sure what what were some of the takeaways that you learned working in that environment um that you kind of maybe didn't expect or did expect that you kind of learned from and kind of leading into this uh the main thing i and it's not necessarily dislike. I think this is just sort of common in like the corporate world. Like yeah. th- there's just m- much more people involved. Yep. And sometimes, you know, even if the product group has something ready to go, you know, if the sales aren't meeting expectations or the budget, you're over budget, you know, other people get involved. And it, it can be a challenge to like push a product through to completion. It gets held up because, you know, there's no money for tooling right now in the budget or you know, something in, in, in that's not necessarily, um, you know, bad about Raleigh or anything like that. It's just, if, no, you, if yeah, you have a hundred people involved instead of three people, like if, if I have to make a decision about my, my one person startup, it's pretty easy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I either do it or I don't, you know, yeah. there's nobody else to get involved. And the, the more people that, that get involved, uh, sometimes the, the slower a project uh, progresses. Right. Absolutely. All right. So let's talk about Noble. Okay. Uh, so noble-bikes.com and uh, social media. Uh, Instagram, we use just noble bikes. Are you even <laughs> on actually, Instagram yet? We have Instagram. I actually don't know this. Okay, that. so we'll have to get Dom. Where's Dominic over Dominic here? Dominic well, just put, left. And I'll put all the links in the show notes too, so for listeners. We um, just, I mean, and I'll tag you so on there too. I got some big, that's um, fine, man. It's Yeah, Dominic it's put it together like yeah. a couple days before the show. He's like, we really need to have an Instagram account before before Sea Otter. And he pulled it off. Yeah, uh, you, know, you know the good thing about Instagram? So Facebook, like, you need to know what you're doing at this point with Facebook. It's really like. Sure. It's a hard gig unless you know what you're doing, but Instagram's really good because you can reach people. It's here's a good an, uh, analogy: is uh, Facebook is kind of like the inner bike, and Instagram is kind of like Sea Otter, right? Okay. Like you have direct contact with these people. It's real easy. It's more casual. Yeah. It's like a more fun environment. They can come up and talk to you. Facebook is like there's this like 
you know, it's not, it's first of all, it's barely consumer touching, you know, right. and then it's like this thing. So that's the, that's why I say I keep people asking people about Instagram because it's like, you got to get on there and start like going back and forth with people. Um, so I'll link it in the show notes. So we're good. Okay. Good. Um, but yeah, so, uh, noble-bikes.com. And, uh, so let's talk about bikes. Uh, first of all, I want to talk about kind of where it's like, how long have you been doing this? Like when was the first seed for Noble Bikes this uh well started? Yeah, I, I I did Noble Bikes really, really small uh from two thousand nine through two thousand twelve. Okay. Really uh, small being like it was just an idea and you were playing no, around with computer tw- models or twenty five to fifty by frames a year. Oh, okay. Um so there's people out there riding noble bikes. There's still a couple out there. Okay. I, you know, I, I, I went out to uh, uh, Grand Ridge, which is a mountain bike ride uh, in, out of Issaquah, and you know, I saw a girl on a on a noble F4 last year. And did you did you remember her name? She bought it from somebody else. Oh, okay. So, you know, okay. it was you. It, they were all 26. Uh, okay. This was like right at that transition period. A lot yeah. of bikes were 26. Some bikes were moving over to 29. You know, but the transition hadn't really happened yet. Yeah. And uh, so the bikes were 26. And then I started working for Raleigh in 2012, uh, and I put Noble on the back burner uh, because I, you know, was a full-time employee at at Raleigh. Right. Um, you know, but when I left Raleigh, I mean. The idea never went away. Like even when I was working at Raleigh, like I loved it for a, a big period of time. Uh, you know, but when I decided that I wanted to do something else, the idea for Noble was back immediately. Uh, you know, but I knew I didn't want to do it the way I did it the first time around. Um, so you learned some things that first time around. Oh, for sure. Like yeah. what? Like what was a? I didn't really have a plan okay. at all. Uh, I knew how to make a bike and I, so I designed something and I went to a friend of mine in Taiwan that owns a frame manufacturing company. And I said, will you help me? And he's a friend of mine. And he said, yes. And I said, how many do I need to buy? And he looked at me, he's like, do you have any money? And I'm like, no, (laughs) he's like, how about one? Yeah. (laughs) So I had no minimum order quantity and that, I mean, that's all relation, right? You can't just go to Taiwan and order one bike, but I've been working with a lot of these people for 20 years. And so he, he helped me out and I did really small quantities. They, they actually never made it to production. They were all made in the sample department because the quantities were Uh, so small. It was, it was much easier for them to just build them in the sample department and ship them to me than to, you know, open up the production line for 25 frames. Right. Um, you know, but I had no marketing plan. I had no social media strategy. I just made bikes, brought them into the U.S., and started selling them to friends. Okay. Um, I also had, like, no money for tooling. Okay. And so when I didn't have any money for tooling, it, it looked much more industrial. And, and the market has moved on. Like, stuff is way more integrated, looks way smoother, and, you know, people spend fortunes on tooling. Uh, you know, so I needed a better plan the second time around. Okay. For sure. So that's uh, that's a good little thing, though. You spend all that time kind of learning some lessons, small scale, so you're not getting, you know, your mistakes aren't amplified twenty times, right? right? I mean, that's a good. So it worked out a good good way of doing that, taking the slow slow road, doing it small before, and now kind of coming out and doing this. So you always had it. So when did this become like this new iteration become a a reality? Uh, about a year ago, actually. Okay. Um, I mean, I've been working on it for a year already, and I went to Shanghai show. I actually, initially, I looked to get some investors for the brand. 
I had a solid business plan. I actually had it reviewed by the Small Business Administration. And they're like, yeah, you should go out there and, and pitch it. And I pitched it. And I, what I was finding is that people either didn't want to put in the money that I was asking for. And if they did want to put in enough money, they wanted control over ownership. Neither of which sounded like a good option to me. Yeah. Um, and so about a year ago, when I had a meeting with uh, some of my friends in the industry, you know, I said, I, I can't do this. And, you know, one of my good friends is like, why can't you do it? I'm like, I just simply don't have the money. And, and they have an assembly factory. And he's like, so what do you need money for? I'm like, well, inventory is expensive. Yeah. And so the, the owner of the factory graciously said, like, he's like, well, we can give you some dating on the inventory so that, you know, we'll make the bikes for you. Mm -hmm. You can ship them to the U.S. And then we'll give you dating so that you can you know, have an opportunity to sell some bikes yeah. before you have to pay right. us. And that was the moment where I was like, because I, I couldn't figure out the finance part for the inventory. And, and once I had that piece in place, you know, everything else sort of, you know, fell in place as well. Yeah. What's that feeling like though when they say, "Yeah, we'll give you some dating on it," but now you're still you're on the hook to pay for these bikes that you now have? So you're a little nervous at that point. Very a little uh, pressure on your uh, pressure to pressure to sell on that one. Yes. Yeah. And the the condition for this is that all the purchase orders have to be approved by the owner of the factory. Okay. So I can't just go in and say I want ten thousand of these things. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So uh, you know I come up with a plan and basically say I want to order this this many. Here's how fast I can sell them. Mm -hmm. This is like the financial risk. The mm -hmm. owner looks at it and then says yes or no. And if he yeah. says no, the numbers have to come down. Right. Uh, yep. So, so they're aware of this, of course, and yeah. you know they they said we want to work with you, and as long as the financial exposure for us is not tremendously big, we'll yep. we'll support it. Yeah. So, do you go home and just celebrate, or are you kicking, in, or were you uh, right to the grindstone that night, cranking away on how you're going to do all this? Well, I called my wife, yeah, and I said, "What did know, she like? What was her? Okay, back up a little bit." Was she on board with all this from the get-go, or was she like, all right, Mark, let's see what you do? Like, She's super supportive. Okay. Uh, we both... Because you've, you've been doing this a long time. You know what you're doing. It's not like you went from nothing to like, hey, I'm starting a bike company. You yeah, know? that's true. But the other side of it, we are both following our heart okay. and not so much where the money leads us. Okay. And so we, you know, we, we probably will never become rich. But we're both doing something yeah, that we're super passionate you, about. After this, you're going to like blow up and become a... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll see about that. Right, right. Um, but it's been fun. And, you know, so I called her and, you know, I said, hey, Richard has offered me some dating. And I'm I, actually, I told her, I was like, I'm really nervous about it, you know, because there's, there's, there's a real possibility that I may not be able to, you know, if it doesn't work out, I, I'll not be able to pay my bills. And she's like, she's like, did you ask for it? Did he offer? And I'm like, he offered it. And she's like, she's like, that means he's comfortable with it. Right. So, so shows you you. Yeah. It's so. good to have wives. They're often a lot more level-headed and smarter in many situations. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So that's good though. You had the support right from right from the get-go from her and the and the factory. So you're good. Absolutely. Yeah. So what's the next step then? You get that and you uh, sit down, you have all the designs all drawn up or are you kind of just working at the same time and dialing in your designs and how's that all go down? A lot of it was already drawn up. Okay. Um, you know, because I, I work as an independent designer and, you know, like weekends, I do a lot of like trial and error stuff. Okay. So you're um, independent designer for like other uh, bike brands and stuff? You help out, do, you know, you don't have to name them, but like, so you do that as like a living. 
Yes. On, that you were doing that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you're around. People know who you are. Inside the industry, I work yeah. mostly in the background, right? Because yeah, I, yeah. I do independent design work for for other brands. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, I think in, inside the industry, a lot of people know uh, who I am. I, yep. Yeah. yeah. No, that's good. I want listeners to know that you know that's you're not some random dude just pedaling, you know, that out here selling bikes. So, all right. So let's talk about the bike specifically. So you you're doing all this design work for kind of other firms. You have all this background, and now you're going to your own bikes. Yep. Do you um Tell us about some of your bikes. So, like, we, we did the video. Yep. Listeners, you can just click on the... Down below, there should be a little YouTube embedded video. Otherwise, you can just click on the link. But um, So, let's talk about the gravel bike, the Noble GX3. Yep. So, what are we dealing... The GX3 is the aluminum, and then we have the carbon. I'm sitting right here in the booth, but right behind me is the gravel... Or the gravel. <laughs> the carbon <laughs> version. Um, so, just give listeners... Walk them through. Let's talk about the bikes. So what do you have? What can they expect? So you have the, uh, let's talk about the brakes because you're, you're doing something. The brake mount is a little yep. bit different. So yep. let's talk about that. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm sitting here next to the bike. So I'm kind of looking at the bike. It's like, okay, yeah. what did I do? Um, yeah. well, the brake thing is a super straightforward. Um, it's kind of baffling that no, nobody else has done it. Um, you know, but sometimes why it, has nobody done it? I have no idea. Well, I didn't think of it until about a year ago. Yeah. So, it, like, it, you know, sometimes things just don't click. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was designing the, the, the GX3, I was using flat mount for road bikes, as, as is everybody else. But flat mount was designed for a 140-mil rotor, and we spaced it up to 160 with an adapter. And that's the way it's been for the last three years, four years. I can't remember how long it's been around. And as I was doing the 3D modeling for these things, I'm like, why can't I just kill that adapter and make the dropout a little bit bigger and space it up to 160. No different than what we're doing in post-mount. We have post-mount 140, 160, 180, and 200. And it's like, why can't I do that with flat mount? And it turns out you totally can. And so I, I, I designed a dropout. I went to some part suppliers and I said, if I do this, will it work? And they're like, we don't see why not. It's in exactly the same location. Yeah, right. Um, so yeah, same story. We, we prototyped it. It obviously did work because... The brake caliper really was in exactly the same location. You just yep. no longer had an adapter, um, you know. And then I, uh, once I had the idea, it made so much sense to me that I created a little bit of a website, um, very similar to ISCG05. It's called flatmount180.org, and there's technical files on there for FM160 and FM180. So if any manufacturer wants to use it, they can go to flatmount180.org. And download the technical data for either the, you know, direct to frame mounting for 160 mil rotor or direct to frame mounting for 180 mil rotor. Yeah, I'll put that link in the show notes too because that's uh, why are you doing that? Why did you make it an open source deal? I, I believe in. I mean, you back could to the you community. could just keep it that way, and you could have, I don't know, the patent process and all that stuff. But you could have had it as a thing, as a proprietary thing. Why? Why I just guess. give it away? Well, I mean, I'm not saying I, I agree. Like, it's really cool what you did with that sure. to kind of make it a thing. But I want listeners to know, like, kind of work through your reasoning. Well, if I if I would have made it proprietary, my quantity is going to be really, really small. I'm starting my own business. It, it wouldn't have gone anywhere. Nobody else would have picked it up, most likely, you know, because people don't like to buy stuff from competing brands. And, and I honestly think we're not competitors. I think we are partners. Like, cycling as a sport needs to grow 
And it can only grow if we work together. And so by me making it an open standard, uh, it's giving back to the community. If people believe it's a good idea, they can use it. If they, you know, want to continue to use Postmount, they can continue to use Postmount. There's, you know, but if more people would work together and focus on the bigger picture, like how do we grow the sport of cycling instead of like, you know, how do I take business away from competitor A or B and, and grow my business? If we work together and grow the sport of cycling, the pie gets bigger. And so your slice in the pie will grow as well. Right. It's, it's a good, it's cool. It's cool as you're doing that. Uh, who are you telling me? Who else did that with something else? Well, I actually don't know who the original person is behind ISCG05, but it was the same thing. Back yeah. in the early 2000s, chain guides were a mess. That's what it was. It's chain guide. That's Okay, go ahead. Explain. So everybody was doing their own thing. Nothing was compatible. As a consumer, it was an absolute nightmare. If you were into DH, like figuring out what worked, prior to ISCG05 was a nightmare. And sometimes stuff that was advertised as working didn't work. You, you know, you were spacing it out with spacers and you were grinding stuff like nothing fit. <laughs> yeah. And then ISCG05 came out and it was the same thing. I, I believe Dave Weagle was behind it, but I'm not 100% sure about that. Okay. But it was published and it was open source. It was royalty free. You could just download it. You got the data. And consequently... Every chain guide manufacturer on the planet started using it. Yeah. And as a result of that, every frame builder started building for ICG05 because you knew that the chain guides that were out there were going to be compatible. Right. And it yep. solved the incompatibility issue almost overnight. Right. All right. So it kind of took away from the whole discussion about bikes. But let's sure. talk about we have a couple other things going on here that you showed in the, in the video. So the, talk about the internal routing. Because you did something a little different there too. I, I did. We well, it's actually kind of hard to show on the uh, on the podcast, right? No, but, yeah, I yeah. So I have the uninterrupted uh, housing, which you know is heavily borrowing from mountain bikes. A lot of road style bikes, drop bar bikes, even though they're internal, they have separate pieces of housing. Um, it's easier to contaminate. It's oftentimes much more difficult to install, and so I came up with a full housing that's. You know, I mean, it's still internal routing. You're not going to hate right. life for a right. long period of time, but you're going to hate life for a little bit because it's yeah. internal routing. Yep. But the system here is really easy to adjust. And, and part of that, you know, which I showed yesterday is that little yoke that we have that attaches to the chainstay yep. and then the port at the bottom of the BB. So yep. it's really easy to route around the bottom bracket shell yep. and go back into the chainstays. Yep. Um, so carbon fork too. So you uh, did something different with the carbon fork. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and actually this is, I mean, I I don't post a lot on forums, but I'm sort of like a So a you lurk on the riding gravel forum? You lurk around in that? Absolutely. Right, okay. Yeah, I, there's, well, that's I have, good to know. Yeah, I have a couple bookmarks. Yeah. So in the morning I get started, fire up the computer, have a cup of coffee, and then I just, you know, click on my bookmarks and I go through it because I'm, I'm curious to see what people are saying. Yeah. And I don't you, post a lot because it always becomes a con controversial he said, she said. And right. I'm just not always into that. Yeah. <laughs> and when you could be, you could throw around some weight and say it like it is. But uh, it's good. A lot of it's good feedback, though, because uh, you could kind of like if you do that every day, you can kind of weed through things and really pick out the trends. Yep. And the ideas of like where people are going. Yep. And kind of weed out the, you know, the individual people bitching about this or that. And sure. you can kind of see where people's heads are going. Yep. Yeah. So you, it's good to know that you're uh, lurking around on the ride and gravel forum. That's cool. 
Uh, so anyhow, go ahead. So you, you, you're reading through these forums and you... Yeah, so what, one of the things that I've, you know, heard through reading forums and from reviews is that when I did the fork for the Raleigh Roker initially that, you know, people liked the way it handled, uh, but they thought it was almost too stiff. Um, and, you know, in the beautiful world of computer technology, we have FEA analysis. Yep. So I modeled up a different profile for the fork that's on the Noble Bikes that... The, the crown is essentially the same shape. So the, for the handling and the steering, there's basically no difference. Mm -hmm. It's really, really stiff at the crown. But then I sculpted in the legs towards the dropout uh, to make the profile smaller to give it more vertical compliance. Yeah. Um, you know, and so it's, it, and I, I can't remember this off the top of my head. I want to say the vertical compliance increased by something like 10 or 15%. Okay. Um, and when we build the initial forks at the, the, the supplier, we did a test on the, the vertical deflection. Yeah. And then we played around with a couple different layup variations just to like see if we could like increase or decrease and still pass ISO 4210 testing. Okay. Um, so we did a couple iterations of that, tested it, and then you know we settled on a number that we were happy with. It, it gave us increased vertical compliance, uh, and we were passing ISO 4210 testing in terms of like fork being strong enough. Right. Is, can people buy the fork separately, or does it come with the bike? Not right now. Not right now yet? And it's or the it geometry is a... pretty different okay. from a lot of the stuff that's out there. Okay. Uh, I'm running a 52-millimeter offset, which okay. is a lot of most of the forks out there are, are less offset. Okay. Um, so it wouldn't be a plug-and-play for, uh, you know, if bikes are designed around a 45 or a 48-mil offset, it wouldn't necessarily be a plug-and-play. Yeah. It would change the steering geometry. Okay. Fair enough. All right, let's talk about the uh, GX5 is the carbon model. Yep. So, and I should mention the GX3 is beautiful blue, right? Is that what you're calling it? Beautiful, beautiful blue? Beautiful blue. All right. <laughs> That's the marketing name. Okay, so beautiful blue has a gray and white stripes on the the uh, seat stay and the seat tube. Um, you can go to the website, noble-bikes.com. All right, and the dark, what are you calling the dark blue one? What color is that? Oh, you know what? Actually, my graphic designer came up with with marketing names for it, and I can't remember. It's uh, it's like Midnight Alaskan Sky or something like that. Okay, Midnight Alaskan <laughs> Sky carbon bike here. It's a GX5, and uh, oh, price on the two thousand nineteen ninety nine and the GX3 is uh, all in, and uh, three grand. We have the carbon bike. You talk a little bit about that. Just not so much the stuff because the it looks like we kind of had the same situation, but I want to know a little bit about the testing. So you went through trying things out on steel before you uh, committed to doing the tooling for the carbon frame. So just give give yep. listeners a little idea of what goes into went into doing that. In the in the steel prototyping or in the yeah, just in the process of like getting the tooling ready to do that. Like, what do you do before you commit to doing that? So. When I came up with forward geometry, which is an evolution of the geometry that I've done uh, previously, I wanted to make sure that I, that I was happy with it before we started cutting into steel for for carbon frames. So we basically took off-the-shelf components that were readily available. We went to a steel supplier that I have a good relationship with, and they made a frame for us in the custom geometry. Okay. And then we didn't have the carbon fork, obviously, so we, we bought a fork from somebody else uh, to put on the bike, and we built it up, and we, we tested it. Um, and we did some back-to-back -back testing on some, some older bikes that I had, and, you know, we liked it better. And so that, that gave us the confidence to move forward. I'd already done all the modeling on the carbon bike. Yep. Um, 
you know, we just wanted to make sure that, you know, the, because the, the geometry on the, the initial round of bikes was so well received that I was, you know, I thought I was doing the right thing, but I wanted to make sure so that right. I didn't take a step back. And, yep. you know, I feel it's a step forward. And, and then the, the carbon tooling process is time consuming. Um, the, the biggest time suck is there is the 3D modeling. Okay. Like every size on a carbon bike needs to be modeled in 3D because the tooling gets directly cut from the 3D model. Uh, so if you're doing a lot of sizes, there's a lot of modeling to do. Yeah. Um, but it, it was actually surprisingly fast. Um, astonishingly fast, really? actually. I was going on you a trip. You just were so organized. No, it wasn't me. It was oh. the supplier. Gotcha. I was going on a trip and I had one size ready and I sent it to the supplier and I said, Hey, I'm going on a trip. I'm come. I'll be there in two weeks. And I was expecting to do my usual, let's talk about the tooling. Like right. do we need like special inserts or slides or yeah. how long is it going to take? Blah, 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 blah. I went on that trip literally two weeks later, I walk into the conference room and they handed me a frame. Wow. Like they were. There's no messing around. Yeah, there's no messing around. I was. I've never experienced that. Like 30 days is fast, but 14 days is unheard of. Yeah. Pays to know people for a while, huh? I guess. Yeah. You're like the <laughs> VIP, VIP uh, customer. So, yeah. So people uh, go over to the website, check that out. Uh, anything special on the carbon frame that you want to um, check Well, it about? has a lot of the features that are refined. Um, I love vertical compliance. I know that everybody in the industry talks about like stiff yeah, drive frame, yeah, vertical yeah. compliance, right, right. right? It's like, I'm not going to throw numbers out there that we're like 50% stiffer than brand A or brand B, but you can build vertical compliance into a bike. Okay. And, and it, I mean, everybody does it in the same way. It, on a carbon bike, you have two options. The seat cluster is where the seat tube, the seat stay, and the top tube come together. If you optimize those profiles uh, for vertical compliance, it sort of becomes a pivot. Uh, they can bend around themselves, uh, which increases your vertical compliance because your saddle is now more freely to move. It's less constrained. Okay. Uh, on carbon, you have a second option, which you don't have as much in aluminum because aluminum is a... Uh, 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 um, a material I can't think of that carbon is anisotropic and and aluminum is isotropic it has the same stiffness values in every direction okay carbon not being that way by modifying the layup you can increase or decrease the amount of vertical compliance that you get so the the shape is optimized for vertical compliance and then same thing as we did with the fork you can lay up a frame and put it on a very simple machine where you where you load the seat the saddle, the saddle deflects a certain amount, mm -hmm. and then you make another frame with a different layup, a lower modulus carbon. Like lower modulus gets a bad rep, you know, because like higher modulus is better. But like that's not more the case. is always better. What's that? More is always better. In this and, and, and it's not true. No. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, well, it is if you're looking for stiffness, right? Exactly. Yep. But we're not looking for stiffness. We're looking for for comfort, and mm -hmm. comfort is vertical compliance. And a, a lower modulus carbon bends easier than a higher modulus carbon so if you if you change the modulus you get more more flex out of the out of the seat cluster right uh, which increases vertical compliance right and so you can play with that until you have a number that you're happy with okay so you went through all those all those steps to get what you have going on here yep yeah and, which is not uncommon yep. um 
you know, like th that's not unique to me. Like I think a lot of companies are doing exactly the same thing. But you know, like it's yeah. kind of like making wine, right? Everybody starts with grapes, but all the wines end up being different. Yep. Uh, and and carbon is very similar in that sense. Like there's a million ways to put all the pieces of carbon together, and yeah. and and how you do that influences the the end result. Right. But I would say from a small company perspective. How many people do you have in the company working? There <laughs> I have, you go. I have two unpaid yes, employees. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, but my point is, like a small company like that, you wouldn't gen probably wouldn't be sitting here talking about that kind of stuff. Like, I, I can't see that uh, they have a lot of people don't have the same knowledge and background and all that kind of stuff. Like, you know what you're doing. You have I, some experience doing that. So I've been very fortunate yeah. in my career. Yeah, yeah. for sure. So it, I. I just think it's cool to be able to be talking to this where with such a small company and have the knowledge that you do. It's just cool sitting here talking to you about it. So I appreciate the, the explanation on that. All right. So the Noble uh, CX-3 is a cyclocross bike sitting behind you. It is. You know, what's the marketing? Uh, what did he come up with the color white on that? It's just white? No, it has a white name, but I can't remember oh. it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to get back to you on that yeah, one. <laughs> that's fine. People can go to the website, check it out. Um, sure. But uh, walk us through that. Talk, talk about uh, putting together a cyclocross bike and tell people what what they should know. Um. Well, I you know I, I when I worked at Raleigh, we this actually I love this part of my job. Um, we had the Raleigh Clement team, and and Raleigh was making good cross bikes when I started, but they signed the Raleigh Clement team right around the time when I started working there, you know, so I was fortunate enough to work with athletes that were racing at the highest level in the world. Yep. I mean, Caroline got a second place in, in world championships like three or four years ago, you know, and so for me being able to go in and, and go ride with these athletes and talk to these athletes and ask them what they liked about the bike and, and what they didn't like about the bike. Uh, you know, the geometry changed because of that. And then we were able to like, give them new bikes. They would go out and ride it. They would tell us what they liked and what they didn't like. And, and I learned a ton from that. And so when I started my own bike brand, you know, I think cross is super cool. Seattle is cross crazy. Like you have to have a cross bike, you know, but I was able to apply a lot of what I learned and working with those athletes to this bike. Uh, I did go with forward geometry on this as well, because I believe, you know, I would get exactly the same benefits out of it. Um, as I would with the, with the gravel bikes, and I am going to do a shameless plugs. Yeah, like you plug away, man. The so forward geometry works really, really well for women uh, because the average height for women in the U.S. I believe is five six. So there's a lot of women that are like five six and under, which means they're riding bikes that are fifty four centimeters and under. And with forward geometry, your handling is just way more optimized than it would be without forward geometry. And we go down all the way to a 48 centimeter size, uh, which fits people that are somewhere between five to five, three. Uh, mm -hmm. So we, we'll have really, really good handling cross bikes for, um, for women. Okay. Well, that's a good plug. Yeah. Yeah. That's you, listeners. He's a, uh, he's very, Mark's a very humble guy. So to pull out, uh, to talk about himself is a tough thing sometimes. So, uh, should give yourself a little more credit on that but yeah so it's just standing here i'm like i like the color scheme it looks cool it just I, looks cool it's my favorite yeah like i like all the bikes that are in the booth all yeah. four of them but the yeah the cross bike is my favorite yeah uh, for sure yep 
All right, so that is uh, comes in at the. What do you have for a build on there? Just give people an idea for the build on that one, just to, so they see what they're. Yeah, train it's a, rival. Yep, it's got a it's got a full rival drivetrain. Um, uh, Stans is our wheel partner, so it's got a Stans uh, Grail S1 wheel set, tubeless ready, of course. I think tubeless is the way to go. Yeah. Um, especially on a cross bike of this level, I don't think a lot of people are going to go to tubulars. Like I know that like the pros are running tubulars, yeah, but they also don't people. glue their own tires. Right, right. <laughs> the Jameses of the world are the ones that gluing their tires. Yeah. Um, if you're not a pro and you're racing, like I've raced tubeless myself, uh, I'm never ever gluing another tire. Uh, you know, I'm I'm tubeless everything, mm-hmm. love it. Uh, and Stans is just a really good partner for for tubeless. Um, Donnelly tires on there. Yeah, that's obviously no surprise. Right. Uh, working together with with Don, and and at the time the Raleigh Clement team uh, was great. Um, I think they make a great tire for for cross uh, and gravel. Yep. So yeah, it's and then you know I I don't do as much cross as I like, so I just basically ask people like which of the cross you know, they're all good, right? It's like which one should I use? And everybody's like, you got to use the PDX. Yeah, it's like the most versatile all around um, all around tire. Yep. Um, so that's a good complete package right there for nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, I think oh, that's hey, a, right that's there. A great value right there below the cross bike. There's a sign that says "Follow us." At Noble Bikes, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. So there <laughs> that, you go. That just shows you how terrible I am at there social media. Hey, you got plenty of other things to worry about. Yeah. So that's not uh, that's not your thing. We'll, we'll we'll get Dominic going on that. All right, let's talk about the mountain bike. So you have a mountain bike sitting off here, the Noble TX three twenty nine. Yep. Talk about it. Travel. How you um? Did you have this idea? cooking in your head for a long time or is this yeah like- this was ready to go okay like this is like one of those i i didn't really have a customer for this um yourself yeah myself right. uh, and i love my wife thinks i'm crazy because i i do 3d modeling for a living and you know we'll be having dinner and i'll think of something and i'll go like I'm just going to go check this out and I'll, I'll try to model something because modeling is not always easy. And, and sometimes you model yourself in a corner. And so I have all these like topology studies that I gather, um, you know, so if, if I model myself in a corner, I can go back to them and look at them and go like, oh, yeah, I've done this before. I know how to solve this, you know, but at the same time, I'm also having like these projects that. You know, I don't sit down and commit like a week to it or, or, or two weeks or however long it takes. I'll just, you know, I'll be working on something and I'll think of something and then, you know, I'll, I'll put in a half hour here and I'll put in a half hour there. And it just sort of like, you know, creeps along. Yep. And, and this was definitely one of the ones like I, I didn't really have anybody that was asking for it or, or asking me to do it. But, um, you know, it was ready basically when I when I wanted to go with it. Yeah. So talk about a couple of things. The, you have the. It's a unique linkage uh, connection. I don't even know what that piece is called in there, but uh, from the chain, the seat stay to the rear shock, you have a little yeah the, piece the, in there. That's I I don't know if I've seen. Is that a common thing, or you just come up with that? I came up with it. I think I've seen it on another brand, and I for the life of me, I can't remember what okay. the brand is. It's after not a while common. you see so many different things, you you can't remember what. Uh, and some ideas I have this. I don't know if you, you probably have this because you're constantly doing this. But you'll you'll come up with an idea and then you'll write it down or draw a picture or whatever. And then you realize like 
your mind just took some other design or idea and kind of just played with it for a couple of years. Sure. And all of a sudden you're like, wait, I've seen that kind of idea before. Shit, I think I copied somebody. And you don't do it intentionally. It's just like your brain takes that idea and kind of works itself a new iteration of that. So um, I, that's what I have. That's what happens to me. I don't know about you. I think you're you hit that like <laughs> spot. Look, it's no secret. Like we're at Sea Otter Classic. Like all my friends that do like this kind of work, yeah, they're all walking around there looking what other people are doing. And, and even if you don't copy per se, like if you see something that's cool, like if you take that idea and you evolve it, and sometimes it turns into like something totally different. But mm -hmm. like we all look at each other, and it helps everybody push along, right? Because right. let's say that you know Brand X comes up with a great solution, and then Brand Y you know does an iteration on it that's a little bit better and then another brand comes along and then you know and then before you know it it's back to brand x that is doing like the third fourth or fifth iteration of it like yeah. you know so is it copying is it evolving you know i don't know it's like, a little bit of everything yeah yeah so talk about that that linkage so it bolts in and i'll show a picture i'll get some pictures when i'm done so i can kind of show people and yeah. they can check it out in the video uh, so yeah talk about that it it um it cradles the seat stay for you know lack of a better description. There's a lot of designs out there that have either a seat stay bridge and, are, and the seat stay is closed at the front, or they have no seat stay bridge and then uh, uh, I'm actually flipping those around. If there's no seat stay bridge, it's closed at the front, so you can wrap it around the seat tube. Uh, if there is a seat stay bridge, it has to be open at the front because otherwise you can't wrap it around the seat tube. Mm -hmm. And so mine is open at the front, but the shock mount cradles the seat stay and, and closes it back up so that you you can get it around the, the seat tube, but you have a cradle seat stay uh, that is one piece that is really, really stiff. Um, and so your, your your torsion and your deflection of the rear wheel becomes less because you have a bit better stiffness in the seat stay. Yeah. And, and talk about what your suspension's built. Obviously, like people can see in the video and the picture, but talk about how your your what's your suspension platform. Talk about what you're using for. A um, it's a single pivot four bar. Uh, it's commonly called faux bar. Uh, I don't like that term because it implies fake. Um, in terms of engineering, it's a four bar, just like any uh, other system. Um, it actually has a virtual pivot. Like we don't utilize the virtual pivot for the the drivetrain kinematics, um, but it has a virtual pivot. So a single pivot four bar uses the main pivot that is attached to the front triangle uh, for the drivetrain and the brake kinematics. So it doesn't use the virtual pivot. Um, that doesn't mean it's bad by any chance. Mm -hmm. um, especially in the world of one by, which is the world we live in today. When the world was three by or two by, isn't that it, crazy how quickly that changed? Incredibly. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I mean, three by three bys were not that long ago. Right. Um, but if you shift from a, a big chain ring to the middle chain ring or to the granny gear, there's a lot of drop in chain line, and and virtual pivot bikes really outshined uh, non-virtual pivot bikes because that by placing the virtual pivot farther out in space, the 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 chains in pedal efficiency was less dramatic on virtual pivot bikes than it was on on single pivot bikes. Okay. And then the world went one by. With one by, the chain line doesn't change. We run one chain ring. You can optimize for that chain ring. And if you have a non-virtual pivot bike and you place that pivot in the correct position, 
you can really, really, really accurately predict the pedal efficiency. You can basically set it anywhere you want, a little above 100%, a little below 100%. It's up to the choice of the designer. And when you think about it, it can't really be such a terrible solution, right? Like we have what, like a third of a horsepower on a good day? And we go 10, 20 miles an hour. So a single pivot, you know, suspension bike wouldn't be good enough for us. But yet on a dirt bike where you're going six times as fast and you have hundreds of horsepowers at your disposal, it is good enough. Okay. Like yeah. that wouldn't make sense. Doesn't it? Yeah, right. Um, so you can make a good suspension system and a bad suspension system with, with any system out there. Yep. Uh, but now that the world is won by, I th actually think uh, single pivot four bars uh, stack up incredibly favorably uh, with all the other ones that are out there. Okay. It's made, has it made, has the change to one by made your job as a designer for all these other, everything you do, not, not just your bike, has it made it, is it's made it easier? Then? Oh yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Cause you get, way easier. Yeah. And with this is not just true for me. This is true for everybody. Yeah. Right. You right. know, opt, because anytime, so somebody's going to tell you, it's like, here's three different things. We want it to work great in all these three totally different situations it's not possible like mm -hmm. it's going to work better or worse in in one of the three and and so it was always the argument wh where are we going to optimize are we going to yep, optimize big chain complete. ring middle chain ring small chain ring and, and where you did you where did you optimize usually a lot of people ended up somewhere between the middle chain ring and the big chain ring okay um you know there were exceptions to the rule because it's it's up to the choice of the company the shitty thing about it was that when you would get a review and you had an editor that favored like one optimization over another, you'd get a bad review. Didn't necessarily mean that the bike was bad. You just had optimized for a, a riding style that an editor didn't like, mm -hmm. you know, and the other way around. Like if you ended up optimizing for a kinematic that an editor loved, you would get it's a awesome. raving review, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So, yeah. So it makes it simpler for riders and people doing the designing. So it's good. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So I, I think we're done. Good. We've been going for like an hour. Do you have any? Uh, <laughs> wow. Yeah, has I know. It been an hour? Yes, it has. Oh, my God. You were nervous about it, too, I think. It, it I was. Than, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, do you have any closing thoughts, anything you want to leave with people? Uh, it could be anything about the bikes or, you know, just Seattle in general or just. Uh, well, don't move to Seattle. It rains all the time and the riding is terrible. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's what, Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Um, well, cool. So I guess, listeners, uh, you can go to noble-bikes.com. And we figured out where to follow you on social media. And uh, I will put all the links in the show notes so people, if they have any questions, uh, how do they get a hold of you? Just email? Uh, do you super, have... super easy, yeah. You just uh, mark at noble-bikes.com. All right, awesome. Yep. So thank you for the time. I appreciate it. Thanks, and uh, that's it. All so right. Thanks. Thank you very much.